All right. Anybody have any questions or thoughts from the last couple of weeks? First week we talked a lot about desire and that being the kind of the foundation for everything. And uh, I, if, if you don't remember anything else, I, I do want you to remember that discipleship is not a bunch of checked off boxes. Like we do this, we do this, we do this. It's continual growth in every area until we get to heaven and figure out we didn't know anything to begin with. And uh, so desire is your most important uh, attribute as we go through the discipleship process. Because without that, you don't have this, the wherewithal to stay with it. None of us do. We have a very short attention span and a short uh, ability to stay connected to something we don't see where we're going. So if you have desire and you're always going towards him, then no matter what process you're in, you, you'll have what it takes to stay with it until you continue to grow and, and know more. So, And last week we talked a lot about uh, grace and love and pride and humility and gratefulness. You all got that down, I guess. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, this will be the most successful class on the history of the planet. <laughs> All right, well, tonight we're going to talk a lot about forgiveness, what it looks like, how to do it, what unforgiveness looks like, what forgiveness is not. And just to start, every, every issue on the planet is a relationship issue. That's the only thing that causes problems. It's never circumstances, it's never cultures, it's always a relational issue based on somebody or something else that we just can't quite get along with. And so, first off, let's um, let's talk about responding in the opposite spirit. In Luke ten three, it says Jesus send a, sends us out as uh, sheep among wolves. And so, the idea that that it's going to be easy or it's going to be soft is pretty much out the window from the very beginning. There's always going to be conflict. There's always going to be uh, relationship issues, and God wants to extend his kingdom, to do that, he's got to send us out. And the way we respond to issues is going to determine which kingdom is operating. So when we're, you know, if you respond in love, in gentleness, kind of the fruit of the Spirit, you are actually expanding the kingdom, whether you see the results or not. And over time, it will establish itself and continue to move out. If you respond in the same spirit that you're attacked in, you actually partner with the kingdom of darkness and you help establish and expand his kingdom, even if you're right. It doesn't matter whether you're right or wrong. This isn't about right or wrong. This is about which kingdom are you going to help uh, propagate. And so when Satan attacks... There is always an opposite spirit we can, we can respond in. So if someone is, is disloyal to you, what can you do? Be loyal. doesn't matter whether they're disloyal or not. That doesn't determine my response to them. My response is loyalty, regardless of their response or their interaction with me. Uh, what if someone is greedy? Be generous. 
And I believe that's why Jesus said in, uh, I think it's in Matthew, where he said, if they, ta- if they tell you to go a mile, go two miles. Why would he do that? Because one mile was required, and you didn't have an option. So that one is the one that you fight with. The second one is a gift, and it frees your heart. So that the, the second one, because you give it, it removes the attachment that the enemy has to your heart over being forced to do something you didn't want to do. Every time. So anytime the enemy comes at you and requires something that you don't want to do, but yet you know you have to, whether God's requiring it or the law is requiring it, go beyond that and free yourself so that now you're back in control. You're in charge. Yes. Always. My attitude... Yes. That you don't really, really want to do it? We're talk- right. Well, there's some things we're required to do. The, the question was about attitude. There's some things we're required to do and some things we choose to do. And both of them require the same attitude if you're a godly person. It doesn't, I'm, and, and I don't want this to sound trite or like a canned answer. I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. It's his time. It's his life. It's his relationships. It's all his. And any time I'm required to respond, whether it's something I have to do, something I want to do, something I don't want to do, it's his. So if he requires or I get stuck in a situation where I'm required to do something that I don't want to do, all I have to do is say yes. And at that point, the grace, we talked about grace last week, the grace comes that I can do what I have to do. I may not like it, but I can do it. And I can do it with a good heart and a good attitude. Because if I do it with the wrong heart, I have given the devil a place. And then a month from now, six weeks from now, whenever it is, he can flip that switch whenever he needs to. So my whole goal is to make sure that I stay committed and completely sold out to the king. It's his time. It's his everything. My family is not my family. It's his family. I'm a steward over my wife and children. And I make mistakes all the time asking him to forgive me. But my attitude is always submission to him first, regardless of what it looks like. And any time I feel like I'm being mistreated, misjudged, missed anything, it's pride. Because I feel like I deserve something better. And I don't. That doesn't mean I'm not important. It means that in relation to him, he's much more important than I am. doesn't mean I don't love myself. It just means in relation to him, I love you more. And sometimes we get that flipped where we say, well, I consider others as more important than yourselves. I think that's in Philippians. And we assume that means that you're not important. No, it doesn't say that. It says consider others more important than you. So I can be really important, but you're just a little bit more important, which determines my actions. So, yes, Elizabeth. Yeah, anytime, honestly, anytime you defend yourself, you've lost. 
you've already lost because you are now engaged in the enemy's battleground and you're on his turf. I don't defend myself. Who defends me? My king. If he doesn't defend me, I don't need defending. And your biggest defense is keeping this quiet. Just be quiet. Because as soon as you engage, you're engaged. And you can be dead right and completely wrong. And you will lose the battle every time. And, he, and you will actually lose your ability to make your point because you have now engaged in the wrong, in the wrong arena. And I know it's not easy. I know people are nuts. I mean, that's just the way it is. But if you truly understand that, it's, that you have no rights, the day you said yes to the Lord, you gave up everything. You were supposed to. Now, whether you have it or not, you know, I say I'm dead all the time, and then I get poked, and I'm like, ooh, maybe I'm not quite so dead. <laughs> but I'm supposed to be moving that way so that whatever comes my way, I can respond in a godly fashion because the less of me that's around, the more ability I have to receive the grace to do what I have to do. And that includes dying, if that's what's necessary. I mean, uh, Stephen had it when he was stoned. Jesus got it in the garden to die for every man, according to Hebrews. And so the grace is there for whatever you have to do. And, and it's not to endure. It's to overcome. So that what you're actually doing is you're responding in a way that's completely opposite to the world system. It's a kingdom system that comes from heaven that he empowers you to not get angry. He empowers you to not have your say, not have your way, not need to be defended. And he gives you the grace to do that. He gives you the grace to be abused, slandered, and fought on every corner. And if you don't, you know, I can tell you this, and I'm, I'm wrestling with this myself here lately. If I'm not causing division out there, I have to wonder if I'm really making a difference. Because I'm really blending in to the world system if I'm not causing the world system to be uncomfortable. If I don't stand up and say no, and this, this is not right. You know, and I think for a long time, me personally, I'm, I'm definitely not a, somebody who looks to bring conflict. I don't run from it, but I don't look for it. And so it's easy for me to let things go thinking, and we piously, sorry, that, y'all, yeah, well, we'll let that go and it'll come up at another time. Well, it may not. This may be the time. And so my integrity requires me to stand, and his grace enables me to stand. And then he tells me what to say, how to say it, when to say it, and when to be quiet. And if I can get to that place, then there will not be any more conflict with other people. You know, and the scripture says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and wicked spirits. And that's who empowers the kingdom of darkness. And we stand in the kingdom of light, making intercession for people, receiving the grace in the power of the Holy Spirit to do what we have to do. I'm not a, I'm not a puppet, but I'm totally submitted to the Lord. And in doing that, I'm completely empowered to do what I have to do. Yes, I do. And I, I actually enjoy being contradicted. 
and somewhat of a pain in the side. Yes, I've perfected that. You know, there's nothing better than have somebody smile at you and tell you, you're an idiot. (laughs) No, I mean, it is idealistic, but it's not unattainable. Just because the ideal is difficult doesn't mean you can't do it. It just means it's going to have a cost. The cost is your flesh. Are you going to die or not? I mean, it, it really is. Because every time I take a step towards him, I empower him to do something new. And every time I take a step back, I remove his ability to actually influence my life. And what I've found is most of the time I evaluate each situation and I evaluate my strengths and weaknesses, his strengths and weaknesses, which ones I want to incorporate into this situation so I can come out still being liked but get my way. That's called manipulation and compromise, just so you know. And I'm guilty of it. And the root of that is pride. I am now God, and I will tell him, at this point, I'm taking over. You did good up to here, but you need me now. Which is, I mean, when you hear it that way, it sounds kind of ludicrous, but that's what it means. So if someone is harsh to you, can you be kind? Can you respond in kindness? Um, If they are lying to you and deceiving you, can you respond in humility and truth? Or can you let God do what he needs to do about their lives while you're being slandered in the process until it comes out? Because truth will always eventually stand on its own. It doesn't need to be defended, but it may take a while for it to be seen. And are you strong enough to stand when people are slandering and lying about you until God decides it's time to vindicate you. And he won't vindicate you as long as it's going to cause you to be a stumbling block. So let's say somebody's slandering me and God intervenes immediately and then I'm watching him clear the way and I'm looking at him going, (laughs) I told you, he got you. Okay, it's not time yet. If it doesn't break my heart when he corrects them, I am not ready for him to move in my life. And a lot of times, that's why we suffer in some of our relationship issues. It's because we will not humble ourselves. And like, like I said uh, Sunday, and it's been haunting me ever since, the answer to your prayer often is waiting on you. It's been sent. But if you don't position yourself in a way that the answer won't hurt you, God can't let it happen until you've humbled yourself and gotten to where that actually produces life in you and them. Because God's goal is always restoration. You're the agent he uses to bring restoration to the ones who are hurting you. And if you can't do that, you're not ready to be rescued. You need to suffer a little longer until you get it through your head that it's not about you. never was. It's about them at this point because they don't even know him. I'm starting to preach, sorry. If someone is violent, you respond in self-control. And God's looking for people who can walk in truth for these times so that people can actually have the victory. Because when you're walking in his ways, you cannot fail. The only thing that brings failure is when you can't take it anymore. 
and you intervene. And at that point, he takes his hands off and says, have fun, call me when you're done. Which usually means in about three months, you've screwed up every relationship around you, and you've got to fix all of that and then repent. It's just easier to just take it up front and get it over with, honestly. Yes? Okay. Um, defining self-control. Well, in a violent situation, of course, I would stop the violence. But it means you don't go past that. It's self-defense. You stop the attack. You stop the whatever. I mean, most of the time, most of us aren't going to be in a violent confrontation. If you are, then you need to get out of the way. Duck. Do something. Try to neutralize it. But you don't go on the attack. The thing is, you, you, you neutralize it, but you don't go any forward, any farther. That's self-control. You see, it, it's easy. It, I have to be strong to pick up this monitor and throw it. But power says I can pick it up and send it down gently. So strength and power are two different things. So I can neutralize an attack powerfully and then let gentleness take over. Or I can throw it and be strong and then tell him, ah, I'm strong. But that doesn't help him or me in the long run. And it's not a kingdom way. Jesus never defended himself. He defended others. And I think I would, you know, I, I've wondered this question a few times. If someone was going to hurt my wife and kids, I will kill you if I can. Or I'll rip your, I mean, I have no... I'll pull your hair, I'll scratch your eyes out, I don't care. But I've wondered, you know, if somebody was just coming after me for my faith, could I just let them do it? And I don't know. I would have to hope that God had spoken to me and I would know it was coming. So for me, it's much more important to defend others than it is to defend myself in an attack, which very few of us will ever really have to see, hopefully. Does that answer kind of? Yeah. I mean, and sometimes I probably would be violent back and then ask for forgiveness. <laughs> it's like, sorry. We, we, reached, we reached the end of my maturity. <laughs> and I'm not saying that flippantly. You understand what I'm saying. You, yeah, that's a physical one. Most of the time, you're not going to be dealt with physically. It's going to be an emotional or a, a violent uh, verbal yeah. And, you know, honestly, I, I, it's one of the things I've actually gotten really well at, good at. I guess you don't get really well at it. I'm sorry for school teachers in here. But it, it's really, really hard to offend me. It's almost impossible. It's not because I don't care. It's because it doesn't matter to me. Because I know that if you're after me that hard, you'll be after somebody else tomorrow and you'll forget all about me. Because that's your problem, not mine. <laughs> so that's, but that's 99% of the time where you're going to have to respond in the opposite spirit when someone attacks you verbally or attacks your character. And you know, I'm just going to say this, and you guys can argue with me, but I'm not going to listen. If, uh, if I have an emotion, if you attack me and I have an emotion that rises up in me, 
of anger, frustration, defense, whatever. There's, there's something that you're saying that's true. Or I wouldn't, I wouldn't even think about it. Like if you came up to me and you said, you know, Phil, sometimes you act like a woman. I'd say, mm, I don't think so. I wouldn't even, I'd be like, yeah, okay, well, have a good day. But if you said sometimes you're short-tempered, I, I would say, I, I am not. What do you mean? Because sometimes I am. So if you ever feel that, look for the 5 or 10% of what they've said that's true and take that to the Lord and let him help you work on that area of your life. The enemy doesn't accuse you of things that aren't at least partially true because you won't pay any attention. He accuses you on things that have got a little bit of truth in them that really dig. Something you've been working on that's not working out too well, you know. Have you ever prayed for patience and for the next 10 days you're impatient? No, it's because you always were impatient. He's just letting you see it now. (laughs) It's always been there. All right. First thing, five things that forgiveness is not. This came out of a book by Dennis Rainey. I don't remember the name of the book. Uh, It's obviously longer than these five points, but forgiveness does not mean that you excuse or condone someone else's sin. It's not okay. Second one, forgiveness doesn't mean that you forget someone's sin. The miracle is that you can forgive and remember. You choose to give up the right to punish, regardless of what's happened. Three, forgiveness means to, it doesn't mean that you haven't felt pain, hurt, and anger. It's not hypocritical to not feel like forgiving. Forgiveness is an act of your will. <clears throat> but it takes, feel, takes time for the feelings to catch up. You know, Scripture's pretty clear. We have to forgive, but you may not want to. And you can only be hurt to the depth of your love. So Shannon and I have been friends for a long time. He can hurt me more than some people here that I've just met. But he can't hurt me near as as deeply as Lori can hurt me. We've been together 40 years. She can hurt me deeper. So if you love something or someone deeply, it can hurt deeply. And it can take a long time for the healing to be completed. But that doesn't mean you can't engage your will to start the process of healing. Does that make sense? doesn't mean you're going to feel great about it. And it I mean, I talked to a, a girl from Germany, and we were talking about forgiveness. And she said, I've been bitter for 10 years towards this person. And we talked, and, and she knew. She could tell this whole area of her life that was being destroyed because of this unforgiveness. And she forgave and has worked through it. And, uh, but it was, she was deeply hurt. And there's something in us that wants somebody to pay. And we have to give up that right to pay. Jesus said, you've got to let it go. Nobody has been hurt as much as he was. 
And we have no right to hang on to anything, no matter how difficult or how hard it is. It doesn't mean it's easy, and it doesn't mean it doesn't really, really hurt. But you've got to let it go, not for, your, or for their sake, but for your sake. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt them at all if you don't forgive. It hurts you. And God's like, until you forgive, I cannot come in and bring healing and restoration to your life. Number four, forgiveness does not mean that you stuff your grief. Sometimes you have to admit that the pain is there before you can begin the healing process. And lastly, forgiveness does not mean there'll be full instant uh, reconciliation. Because reconciliation requires trust. So I can forgive you and never have a relationship with you. You hit me with a baseball bat in the head, I can forgive you, but I'm not sticking my head in front of you anymore. That would be dumb. Okay? So just because you don't want to be with somebody doesn't mean you haven't forgiven them. It's a heart issue. It's not an act, an act issue. It's a heart thing. So forgiveness is a choice that you make to break free from the cycle of hurt and pain. That's it. You just decide... I'm going to forgive. That's all you have to do. Let's look at some scriptures, because that's good to do. Matthew 6, 12 to 15. This is when Jesus is praying. He said, give us this day our daily bread. That's 11. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Verse 14, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So he actually puts our relationship with him on hold until we forgive. And if you're, if you've, if you're harboring bitterness and resentment towards somebody or some situation, and you're wondering why you can't hear from God, it's because he's not going to talk to you until you deal with this. And the reason is, he forgave us of a lot more than he's expecting us to forgive them for. And he just, he'll just put the relationship on hold, and he can wait forever. He can wait a lot longer than we can, because <laughs> we're getting older. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's true. It doesn't matter how much percentage you think you're wrong, you're 100% wrong in God's eyes, because you're only responsible for you. Whatever you do, I'm not responsible at all for that, but I'm responsible for everything I do, and that's all I'm responsible for, so I can take that to him. And my 100% may be 20 in the situation, but it's 100 to him, and it does determine his interaction in my life. You know, there's a place of such freedom. When you're connected to the Lord and you're, you have no need to punish others, you can forgive instantly, you are walking in such a presence that nothing can really get to you. It doesn't mean life's easy. It means that in the midst of the mess, you can smile and almost look like you're disconnected from the world because you are. You're not connected at all to the world. You're connected to the kingdom. And you're walking almost in a bubble of his presence. 
And everywhere he goes, he brings division. He, he brings identification. So when I'm walking in the freedom of the Spirit, and I'm forgiving, and I'm loving the best I know how to, and I walk into a crowd, I bring judgment. I bring conviction. Because it's, it's in the Holy Spirit. So when I come in, people have to respond. They're either going to break down and receive God or whatever it is he wants for them, or they're going to harden their hearts and become angry. And if you watch the news and you wonder, wonder why uh, people seem to be so adamant against Christianity, that's why. The enemy's frustrated. He's trying everything he can do to shut down the kingdom, and he has no power to do it, only what we agree with him on. And so the more we learn to walk in the freedom of the kingdom, which is forgiveness and love and receiving grace and walking in gratefulness and uh, all those things we've been talking about, the less, the, in, the less influence the world has on you and the more of a confrontation you're going to have with everybody because you're highlighting everything that's wrong just by your presence. So the closer you are to him, the more pressure you put on everybody else. And they don't even know why. But most people, honestly, want God. They're looking for something that matters. And if you can present it in a way that's non-threatening, non-confrontational, just loving them, the best they'll let you. He said, you lift me up. I'll draw them. That's not standing on the corner and yelling at everybody. That's standing on the corner and helping everybody so that when they come in from your help and engagement, they see him. And that's his job. My ministry, if I, if I start trying to quantify the results of my ministry, I've already missed it. It's his ministry. If nobody responds, that's not my problem. If everybody responds, that's not my victory. It's his problem or his victory. I'm just the agent he's going to use. And if we can get that, we will become so consistent that even people who don't like you will honor your integrity and your commitment to, to living what you say you're going to do. And I, I met the first Gideon, Russian Gideon, several years ago, and his father was taken with a hundred other pastors to a a camp, and this, the uh, KGB brought him out, and they said, you have till tomorrow to renounce, or we will kill you. If you renounce, you can go back to your families. And so they left. This was around noon. One day, they came back around noon and said, okay. They brought them all in a room and said, the ones who are going to renounce, go over here, and the ones who are going to die, go over here. And so this guy's father went over here to die. And then the KGB went out and they talked amongst themselves and they came back and they shot all the ones who renounced. And I know you're thinking, oh, that's because secretly they're Christian. Nope, they hated Christians. You know what they said? We can't trust them because they don't live by conviction. But at least we know that you're going to be who you say you are. And so they sent him home. And then he was born and now he's a, the, he was the first Russian Gideon. It's, it's a matter of, of being completely his and not compromising. And the enemy will even respect that to a certain degree. He's still going to try to kill you, but he will respect it. All right, Matthew eighteen thirty five. 
which is uh, the whole parable of Matthew 18 is where the one servant owed a lot to the king and the begged him and the king didn't put him in prison and he went out and collected a smaller debt from somebody that owed him, threw him into prison. The king heard about it and says, you wretched blah, blah, blah. And then he took everything from him as well and put him in prison. And then at, in verse uh, 35 of Matthew 18, which I encourage you to read the whole story because this is, a, a exact, this is exactly what happens when we don't forgive. And God says, you realize how much I've forgiven you for. 1835, it says, So my heavenly Father also will do to you to each of you if from his heart he does not forgive his brother his trespasses. It's not lip service. It's from here. And you know how you can tell if it's from here or not? It'll show up in your actions. You won't just talk about it. You'll actually do something about it. And when you do that, then you're free. And Jesus said, if you don't do that, your Father's not going to forgive you either. And that's a scary place if you think about it. That God himself would say, sorry, I'm not going to forgive you. And it's that important to him that he puts your relationship on hold. And he doesn't want to. It's not like he sits there. And I think we still always have this picture of God just like he's big and mean and nasty and grumpy. You know, Jesus is a good guy and... Uh, if we do what we're supposed to, then God's okay with it. And if we don't, then he gets mad and he squashes us and does whatever. No, it breaks his heart. When you don't forgive like he forgave, it hurts him. And I don't know if you realize it or not. Your sin hurts him. He grieves over the condition we're in before we respond to him. It's not something where he just says, okay, I'll get you. That's not his heart at all. It's to get to bring us into full fellowship with him. And it starts for us. It starts with forgiveness, for forgiving everybody. Uh, let's see. Okay, I'm going to skip a little bit. Forgiveness embraces the offender. Jesus offered forgiveness while they were killing him. He actually didn't even forgive them. He asked the Father to forgive them. He never got offended because love doesn't get offended. And Peter, and uh, Stephen did the same thing while he was being stoned. He looked up to heaven and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He never said, I forgive them because he wasn't offended. There's no need to forgive if you're not offended. And that's the goal, honestly, is to become unoffendable where nothing can offend you so that you can immediately go into intercession for the people who are hurting you. Forgiveness initiates, Romans 5, 8, while we were sinners, Christ died. He died for the possibility that you would respond to him. He had no guarantees. So forgiveness initiates. So we offer forgiveness even though they may not respond in kind. It doesn't matter. But if you forgive, you open the doorway for the Holy Spirit to start bringing conviction on them and trying to help them see him. Forgiveness gives up all rights to punish. One of the ways you can tell is you have no desire to talk about it. 
If you feel the need to talk about it, you still haven't given up the right to punish. Which means it's better to be quiet. Otherwise, you've got two problems. Your problem with them and your problem with the Father now. So as long as it's something that is, that's, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with feeling that, just don't act like that's okay. You just take it back to him. Say, look, I don't know why. I still want, to, I still want them to pay. Please forgive me. Ask for the grace to endure. And I have no idea what, it, what they've done to you. So sometimes it's hard. It's one thing to step on my toe and I can forgive you. It's another to steal my car, break into the house, do something crazy. You know, so I'm not saying that the process is easy, but I'm saying it has to be done, whether we like it or not. And if they've sinned against you, you forgive them even if they don't ask for it. Because it's not about them, it's about you. And until you're okay, God can't minister to you. You know, it's, it's when you release them, you turn them over to him. It's not like they get away with it. One day there'll be a reckoning and a reconciling of all accounts. Hopefully it'll just be on their way to heaven. But he'll take care of that. And until you can do that, you just need to be quiet. All right, Hebrews 12, 14, and 15 talks about you can only be hurt to the depth of your love. It says a root of bitterness springs up, defiles many. We've all met bitter people who look like their dog, and they're all scrunchy-faced, and you know, you get around them, and they defile everybody. It's just nasty. There's no way to hide it. Roots show up with fruit. You can't just keep cutting the top of the plant off and expect it not to produce bad fruit. It's going to every time. So let's look at seven steps to forgiveness. The quicker you learn to forgive, the quicker you can be healed. And it's your attitude towards the problem that, that causes you the problem, not what they've done to you. Your response to it is what determines what happens, not what they did. It doesn't mean it was good. It just means that your response to it determines what God can do. First, you have to want to forgive. It's an act of your will. You'll never be forgiven if you don't forgive. Mark eleven twenty six, Matthew six fourteen and fifteen, and it's crazy to go through repentance and confession and humbling and fasting because you're not going to get anything if you don't forgive. You can repent a million times, but if you don't forgive, it's not going to produce anything in your life. Number two. These are steps to forgiveness. Think about all of God, that God has forgiven you for and meditate on it and make a list if you have to. God forgives instantly and wholly, completely. Not wholly, holy, but holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. Completely. Ephesians 4.32 I know it's in here somewhere. 
remember the first time I was speaking and I couldn't find the, the book in the Bible. I started sweating and palpitating. And <laughs> it was all of 11 seconds, you know, but it felt like a day and a half. <laughs> Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And another one that's similar is Colossians 3.13. 3.13. And partial forgiveness is not forgiveness. And a good example of that is David in the Old Testament when Absalom rebelled and he fled and then he came back and David let him in the city but he wouldn't let him in his house. And he rebelled again and this time it, it cost him his life. Okay. You have to forgive completely. Partial forgiveness is not forgiveness. And that's in 2 Samuel 14, if you want to read the story, where David lost his son because he basically didn't forgive him. And, and Absalom, if, as you read the whole story, Absalom came back, I think, repentant, and then wasn't allowed in the palace, and then met with some malcontents and, and began again to form an uprising. And this time it killed him. I think so, yeah. He did. I think he did come back repentant. I mean, I'm just I'm speculating. I can't imagine anybody would come back to that situation if they weren't somewhat repentant. And then David didn't do anything to encourage it. He just said, yeah, let him in the city, but don't let him in my house. Okay, number three. Thank the Lord for any and all blessings that have come through that person. And I know what you're thinking. What if nothing has come through that person? Well, then thank God that they're a tool that he's going to use to teach you forgiveness. A tool, yeah. A lowly tool. <laughs> All right, number four. Ask God for his forgiving love. Romans 5, 5. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Okay, it's a supernatural love. It's not a love you can generate. Your natural love is never going to get it. But a Holy Spirit-driven love will give you what you need to forgive anybody of anything. <clears throat> if you bypass the Holy Spirit, you will not be able to forgive properly. And any resistance to the Holy Spirit is actually stopping the plan of God. It's kind of quenching. Okay. Love covers sin. We talked about this last week. You can get grace to endure, but love covers a multitude of sins. So if you yield to the Holy Spirit, then he can let his love come through you and forgive Number five, think of the needs of the person at the time of hurting you. They must have been in great need. Sometimes people lash out at you because you're the only person they feel safe with. And so you have to understand whatever they're going through is a whole lot more than you realize. And that's okay. Just let them do it. It's not going to hurt you. 
Number six, ask God to constantly give you opportunity to express his love to them. 1 John 3, 17 and 18. Love indeed. Not just in words. Do something for them. That'll help you forgive. Ask God to let you meet their greatest needs, whatever that is. Could be for friendship or who knows what. You have to want to forgive. Number one, it's an act of your will. Oh. Oh, to give you opportunities to express his love to them. First John three, seventeen and eighteen. Which is it talks about uh loving indeed, I think. Seventeen and eighteen. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him. How does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So it's easy to say, I forgive you, but it's another thing to meet their needs and to to love them by doing something. And then lastly, become an intercessor and pray blessings on them. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance not the judgment. If it was judgment, we'd all be dead because that's what we deserve. And it's really hard to hate somebody you're praying for if you're genuinely praying, unless you're praying that they die, which isn't really praying for them. And your emotions, you have to get your emotions out of it. And until you can get to the place that you don't need to talk about it and you can, and you can hear about it and not have an emotional response to it, you still haven't forgiven yet fully. And if you've been hurt really deeply, you can forgive what you know. And maybe six months from now, it comes back up again. And then God wants to deal with another layer. It depends on how deep the hurt is. If you deal with what you know... He will always give you a break in, in the process. So you deal with what he's, he's shown you, then you get a rest, and then he'll say, okay, now we need to go a little bit deeper and deal with that. So just because it keeps coming up doesn't mean you haven't forgiven. It means that the hurt is so deep that it can take a long time to heal. As long as you do everything that God is showing you to do, you're fine. Just relax. He'll show you the next step at the right time. Because we, we can't deal with it all, at, all at once a lot of times. The hurt's too big. It's too great. And uh, we just can't handle it. So he will give us what we can handle. He says he's, he's never going to give you more than you can handle. And then once you've gotten through that, you get a rest. And then one day out of the blue, it'll come up again. So don't feel like you haven't forgiven. Just start the process again. God, I didn't know that was in there. Help me, and he'll help you get rid of that as well. Any questions of that? <laughs> I think it was Samuel 14. You're talking about David? Second Samuel 14. I think around 24 is where he says you can't, you can come in the city, but you can't come in the house. 
And one of the things that keeps us from wanting to approach God for help is sometimes we're offended at him because either somebody we prayed for died. Um, my sister just died a few months ago. I don't, you know, I, I have two options. I can either get mad at him and walk away or I can redouble my efforts towards the enemy and say, okay, you're going to regret this. That's my only two options. And a lot of us are offended at him. And I, I want you to know that Jesus was tempted to be offended at the Father as well. Because he was sent his, or John the Baptist sent his disciples to Jesus when he was in prison and said, are you sure you're the guy? Because they're getting ready to take my head off. And Jesus said, well, you go back and tell John, you know, the blind see, the, the lame walk, the deaf hear, and the poor have the gospel. And, and then he said, and blessed are those who are not offended by me, which is kind of an out-of-place statement. So John's disciples run back to John and say, well, the deaf hear, the blind see, the lame walk, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and uh, something about don't be offended by him. And I think that was a message to John that I'm not coming. You're on your own. And because we know that Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing and he only said what he heard the Father saying. And Jesus, I believe, was tempted to be offended at the Father. This was his cousin. They recognized each other in the womb. This wasn't just... uh, a happenstance relationship. And Jesus knew that the Father wasn't going to raise him or wasn't going to save him. And so he told John, make sure your disciples aren't offended because I'm not coming. And then John dies soon after that. And then later, when Lazarus dies, Mary and Martha, you know, their, their brother, Jesus goes and raises him from the dead. And I can imagine as Jesus is going, he's thinking, oh, great. You're going to raise Lazarus, but you wouldn't raise John. Now, I know that sounds sacrilegious, and I know Jesus is perfect. But he was tempted in every way like I am. So if I'm tempted to be offended by God the Father because he didn't do what I thought he should do, Jesus was tempted to be offended by his Father. And I think he was tempted in the garden frustrated, like I really don't want to die. I mean, when you say it three times and it it says you sweat like drops of blood, that's a serious, intense time where he's trying to figure it out. But he never gets offended at the Father. And we can't be offended at the Father when he doesn't do what we think he should do. And we've had people in this church that if there were ever saints, they would be saints. And yet, when we prayed, we carried them out and put them in the ground. And if you let that determine how you approach the Father, you'll never go to him for help because you won't trust him. And a lot of times, our, our difficulty in forgiving others is we can't forgive him. And we really need to search our heart. And say, God, am I holding an offense against you that keeps me from forgiving other people? And I know that sounds hard, but I mean, honestly, all of us have had major disappointments that God could have 
intervened if he's God. But for whatever reason, he didn't. And I can't know that. But for whatever reason, he didn't. I have to know he's good. And I have to know he's for me. And I have to know that this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And I also have to know that if I can forgive him and forgive you, I can walk this earth untouchable to the enemy. I can cause more havoc in the kingdom of darkness when I am totally free of unforgiveness. And even be like Job, even if he kills me. I'm trusting him. And when you're that settled, there's nothing that's in your heart that you want to see that can't be done. Because God gave you those desires. Now, if it was for a big boat, not so sure. But if it's, if it's a desire to see him move in this earth, he put it there. He's the author of that. And he will help you walk in it if you stay free. But if there's anything in you that's not of him and he allows you to be successful, it will pull you away for sure. And we see it every week anymore, ministries that are pulling away because they got away from him and their anointing and their gifting was so strong that it keeps working. The Bible says the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. They work, even if you're a mess. And every time they do, it draws you away from him because you weren't with him anyway. So you start thinking, oh, I can do this on my own. And then because he's just, he'll let it go for a while, and then he has to expose it. Scripture says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to search it out. He wants you to search your heart. And if in your heart you find unforgiveness, start with him. Ask him, do I have unforgiveness towards you? Is there something I thought you should do that you didn't do? And deal with that first. And then ask him, okay, out here, where do I have unforgiveness? Where's my frustration boiling over? Where's my expectation that I deserve something better coming from? I don't deserve anything better. Everything is a gift. Your last breath was a gift. And if you can learn to walk in that level of gratefulness, you'll always have grace. You'll always be able to forgive and you'll, you'll be unoffendable. And unoffense or being unoffendable is a very freeing place. Because as soon as you get offended, they've got you until you get free. And none of us have to be offended. It's always a choice. I think that was the hardest thing for me to get through my head was there's absolutely nothing that anybody does that causes me to choose to be offended. I just choose to be offended. Which means I can choose not to be, regardless of what's happening. So, any questions? Thoughts? Yes. Well, it doesn't say that specifically.
Well, you have to, yeah, yeah, we're talking about Absalom and, you know, not being in full reconciled relationship because of past, but uh, it was his son, which is a little different. You know, if your daughter, you would tend to be more benevolent towards your daughter than you would be somebody else who hurt you. And, and I don't know what Absalom's mind was in the whole thing. I don't know what David's mind was. Uh, I do know he let him in, but he didn't let him all the way in. And it was his son. So, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely put up boundaries anytime. And I'll ask the Lord, you know, should I put up boundaries? And if he says, yep, I put up boundaries. And I don't apologize for them. You know, like I said, if you hit me in the head with a baseball bat, I'm not going to stick my head in front of you anymore. And it's more, again, it's not your, this is the key. It's not your action. For whatever reason, Absalom didn't feel forgiven because he went right back into another insurrection. It's a heart issue. It's not an action issue. So for whatever reason, David, when he let him in the city, Absalom didn't feel reconciled to his father at all. Apparently, because he went right back into rebellious activity. So if your heart's right, then boundaries come from a good heart, then that's probably God and the Holy Spirit helping you. If your boundaries come before your heart's right, you got to question where they came from and what's the enemy doing to try to make this thing worse. Yes. No, no, he wouldn't be that way. Partial forgiveness, the way I'm explaining it, is when you put a limit on the amount of forgiveness you're going to give. It's not what he's doing to help you. Uh, as long as you're connected to him and doing whatever you believe he wants you to do, he's fine. But when you stop the process, because you're like, okay, I'm going to forgive you to this point, but I'm not going to forgive you any farther. That's what I mean by partial forgiveness. Yeah, well, that's the biggest. We were going to, that's actually the next, the next thing is that the, the hardest person to forgive often, especially for believers, is themselves, especially when you fail. And we have to. I mean, if you think about it, God's forgiven you for so much. How in the world can you act like you have the right to decide not to forgive yourself? That's kind of silly. I mean, I understand Sometimes we want to punish ourselves to try to make ourselves feel better about how bad it is. You know, we want to make sure that we pay. You know, I think if you look, 
in the Middle East, sometimes they'll take those things and just rip their backs apart to get bleeding and suffer to try to pay penance for what they've done, and that doesn't work. God said, you don't have to do that. Um, And sometimes it can take a while to forgive yourself. It depends on what you've done. Nobody really knows but you and him. Yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and one of the ways you can tell is if you're you're talking with someone and you'll say, "Well, I don't want to talk about this, but." As soon as you say "but," yes, you want to talk about it. So let's don't make it worse by lying. Just. <laughs> Well, you're gonna if you don't forgive yourself or others, you will your relationship with God is put on hold. Well, whatever He shows you, yeah, it's not up to you. He'll tell you, and then you forgive, and then it comes up again in six months because this was a really deep wound. So, if my wife, if something happened to Lori and we had a falling out, we've been together forty-one years. I didn't even think that was possible, but we are. Yeah. <laughs> so she could really hurt me where it could, take, it could take years for me to get over that. But each time we deal with another level of pain and hurt, then God will be faithful to come and bring healing and restoration. And he'll give me a break, and then he'll bring it up again because he's not, he's not just trying to hurt me. He's trying to clean me up so that I can be productive in the kingdom again and happy. Yeah, yeah, you should, if you've done everything you can do. I mean, the Scripture says, having done all the stand, stand. Just do what you know to do, and then be faithful if he shows you something else. Yes, sir. Not unless you choose to light the fire again. Yeah. And God will let you use your hurt to turn it around and use it for other people. When you get to the place that it doesn't matter what comes on there, it's not going to ignite again, you know. But that can take a while. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure it's well documented that you haven't mastered it. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, he said he was offended. (laughs) 
Offerings won't be great, but it's, it's effective. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if it's in the book or not, but I, uh, I know that Elizabeth Elliot was, was somewhere at a gathering, and someone came up to her and said, I'm so sorry, your husband died in the jungle. And she said, he didn't die in the jungle. And the guy said, well, yeah, he did. He, you know, they were killed in the jungle. And she said, no, he died in his, in his bedroom when he was 11 on his knees and said, I give you everything. And that's, you see, that's what we run into. We have to get to the place, you know, he never considered not going into the jungle. And she never considered that he hadn't already died anyway uh, because of their commitment to the gospel. And yes, when you can forgive like that, like she did, God's going to use it in an amazing way. And if you read the whole story, it is amazing what happened after he died and she went back in there. And a matter of fact, I saw... Um, was it Nate Saint that was the pilot? I saw his son with the tribal chief who killed both parents. And they were in Arkansas. And he actually shot a dart into a, a spot on the back wall of the auditorium at John Brown University of the same kind of darts he used to kill them. And he is now a grandfather to Nate Saint's kids. It's really an amazing story of redemption. But that was it. It's, forgiveness is militant when you do it right. It's powerful. And, hmm? It is a true living sacrifice. And it's harder to walk in forgiveness than it is to die. It's like Carol said Sunday, you know. If you wake up, it's a good day. If you don't, it's a better day. So it, it is a living sacrifice to forgive. Yeah. Any other? Now, what if somebody asks you to forgive them and you weren't offended? What do you do? Forgive them. <laughs> it's not about you. It's about them. They need it. And you know what God's talking to me about? He's talking to me about the intention of my heart. And so I, I asked somebody for forgiveness last week because when I said, I said, you know, when I talked to you about this, my intention was not pure. And I knew it. And they had no clue. Because manipulation is a very subtle little thing. And they forgave me, of course, because they weren't even offended. But the thing is, it's for me to learn to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and to be free from the effects of manipulation and all the stuff that goes with the enemy. 
So just offer it. If they want forgiveness, they need it. It's not for you. All right, we got a couple more minutes. Anything, any other thoughts or... Watch that later tonight. <laughs> what if they don't know they've offended you and don't ask for forgiveness? <laughs> you down here quoting scripture. <laughs> okay. You're not supposed to be offended. You, you need to become unoffendable. And until you are, you can't live it out walking in front of them. One day they'll know they offended you, but, I mean, what, what do we expect from the world? We expect them to act like heathens. If you don't, then you're in worse shape than I thought. Well, I have it, but I don't think I read it. Oh. Oh, that is the biggie, Yeah. I mean, everybody gets offended about everything, and right now everybody's offended just because other people are offended, you know, and it's ridiculous. But Because once you take the offense, you lose the power to fight the offense. God's not going to give it to you. But if you don't take it, then you will have the grace you need to overcome it. Uh, let's see. If somebody asks you, or if you ask somebody for forgiveness for something you know you've done, please don't say, please forgive me if I offended you. Because when you say if, what you're saying is you shouldn't be offended, but if you're weak and you need it, then I will ask you to forgive me, but you shouldn't be. Okay? Be specific. Please forgive me for blank. Never say if. That's the word. I've been around so many people who say, well, forgive me if I did this. Well, you did it, or they wouldn't be offended. Now, should they be offended? No, they need to grow. But we're all at different places, and for a while, some young Christians are going to be offended. And some people get offended, and don't get offended for other people. Don't get offended for your spouse or your friend. They're big people. They can handle it. You know, I, I remember years ago, I would tell Tell Lori, don't be offended because somebody doesn't like me. It's okay. Or they didn't like what I said. You know, I don't know why they wouldn't. I always say the nicest things. <laughs> but you know what I mean. It's like, don't be offended. I'm not going to get offended if somebody attacks Eddie. I'm going to talk to Eddie. But hey, forgive him, Eddie. Let's go get a cup of coffee. Okay, but don't take up an offense because there is definitely no grace for you to be there. You are on your own, and the enemy will beat you to death. Because you, I mean, I know he's, he's crazy and does stupid things, and I know when we get to heaven, we're going to look and say, that was him, but I'm telling you, he's one of the highest created beings in the universe. And he may not be wise, but he's extremely smart. And he knows everything that will push your button. And if you're on his turf, you are in trouble. You have nothing to fight with. 
And I'm not trying to honor him as some great being. I'm just saying when you take yourself out of the protective hand of God the Father with the Holy Spirit and Jesus and the angels and everybody else, you are in trouble. And he will kill you if he can. That should scare you. That should make you want to listen to John MacArthur tonight. All right. I think that's, that's probably good enough for tonight. Yeah, good. What's, what's the goal of all discipleship? Yes, you've got to have desire. What's the goal? More than that. More than that. Those are all results of discipleship. To make disciples? Yes, that's a result as well. Uh, I would say yes, but you've been out in the, out in the atrium, so no. <laughs> it's to love God and love people. That's it. Love God, love people. What does love look like for God and for others? And if you keep that in front of you, you'll learn to walk in forgiveness. You'll learn to walk in the grace of God. You'll have, you'll have a grateful heart. You'll be unoffendable. And the power of the Holy Spirit will begin to work in ways in your life that won't tempt you to take credit. You'll just be grateful. And that's an awesome place of freedom. And if you want to see, you know, don't seek ministry. Seek the fruit of a disciplined life. And then he'll add the ministry to you when it's time. All right, let me pray. Father, I thank you for these last few weeks. I thank you for all the information, but more than that, I thank you for your Holy Spirit who can make this real and helpful and can make us look more and more like you. Would you teach us, using this information, how to love you and how to love people in a way that doesn't just bring lip service but brings change and transformation to cities, to nations, to this whole world. And Lord, I pray that we would get so much joy from your presence we would never seek ministry we would just seek your your face and let the ministry come and as we go tonight would you just in our hearts if there's anything there that shouldn't be there would you reveal it to us even while we sleep if we have unforgiveness bitterness resentment towards anybody or anything would you show that to us i ask for the grace to deal with it quickly and lord i pray that your angels will surround us and minister to us as we learn to walk in the freedom of everything you've provided for us. Let your kingdom come, Father, on this earth through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys.